morning we're going to look at two verses of Scripture, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. Let's stand together and let's read it. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for so many things. Lord, not only your gift of salvation, but Lord, also the way you provide daily for our needs. Lord, we thank you today that we live in a free country, that we can uh, serve you in freedom. And Lord, we know that did not come without a price. And so, Lord, we thank you for those who have been willing to put their lives on the line uh, to serve you in uh, some capacity in the defense of our nation and the defense of our freedom. And uh, we are uh, grateful for that. Lord, we also are thankful for just the, the little things we often take for granted. Lord, we thank you for uh, the church. We thank you for uh, fellow believers, those who can encourage us in the faith. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for Christian fellowship, just the richness of that, and being able to um, grow together and to encourage one another in the faith. And Lord, we pray uh, today that as we uh, enjoy our fellowship, that you would just bless it, Lord, that uh, we also would be uh, those who just make it a common practice, almost like breathing, that we would just always be saying thank you, that we would always be expressing our gratitude uh, to you, that you would just fill us with hearts of gratitude, just that that would be our constant prevailing attitude of knowing that, that we really have nothing apart from your hand, that it all comes from you. And, and so, Lord, that we would just always in humble thanksgiving uh, express to you our gratitude. Lord, we pray again this morning as we think about the life of faith, that we would be people of faith, that we would uh, emulate these uh, men of old who uh, modeled that life of faith, and that we would also uh, be people who would fully trust in you. And Lord, help us to learn the principles that you would have for us from your word again this morning. Lord, once again, we ask if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would convict them of their need for Christ and that they would put their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And we ask you would bless our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we saw that Abel, the second son of Adam, was the first member of the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Today we move seven generations beyond Adam to include Enoch. To many people, Enoch is a mysterious person. But the Bible declares he was a man of faith, and we can learn a lot about the life of faith through the example of this man. 
We saw that Abel exemplified worshiping through faith. Here we will see that Enoch exemplifies walking by faith. And one primary thing that the Bible says about him is that he walked with God. And the author of Hebrews makes it clear that he did this by faith. The main point of this chapter, of course, is to hammer home the truth that God has never intended for men to come to him through works, but always by faith. And as I have emphasized many, many times, salvation is never the result of works. It is always by faith alone. Yes, good works are a byproduct of genuine saving faith, but it is never the basis of our salvation. In fact, we could make a very strong case that Hebrews 11.6 is the key verse in the entire chapter. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. As far as importance in this chapter, that verse is on par with verse 1, where we are given a definition of genuine faith. But here we're told of some other key elements of true faith. What does Genesis tell us about this man, Enoch? Well, we're told that he was the son of a man named Jared who lived 962 years. We're told that he became the father of Methuselah at the age of 65. In fact, Genesis 5, 21 to 24 says, And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, the translation of Enoch into heaven is what he is most known for. If you read the entire fifth chapter of Genesis, you will notice over and over again the phrase, and he died. Even though they lived much longer than people do today, we see that each descendant of Adam eventually died. But the one exception is Enoch. Because he did not die, God just took him to heaven without his having to face death. And we could say he was the first raptured saint in the Bible. And the old story is that Enoch was out for a long walk with God one day when the Lord said to him, it's getting late And we are closer to my house than we are to yours. Let's just go to my house. Now, that's what we focus on, because that's a pretty cool thing for God to just take you to heaven without dying. 
But it is important for us to understand that is not what the author of Hebrews focused on. The author of Hebrews wants us to see that this happened as a result of his life of faith. That he lived a life of faith long before he was ever translated out of this world. In fact, it is in connection with this man that the author of Hebrews lays out this critical maxim that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. The Genesis account really does not specifically mention Enoch's faith, but twice we are told that he walked with God before he was caught up to heaven. This indicates he had to have been a man of faith. And we know that Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden, but that stopped when they sinned and were expelled from the garden. But as John MacArthur explains, the ultimate destiny of man is reinstituted with Enoch, who stands as an illustration for all men of what it is to be in fellowship with God. So we have, in a sense, some progressive revelation here as Enoch took faith to a new level, the level of living a life of faith that enabled him to walk with God. Now, we're not told this specifically in Scripture, but I believe that a life of faith also has to include the offering of a blood sacrifice like that of Abel, because the Bible declares without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. That's Hebrews 9.22. Enoch could not have been cleansed from his sins and made right with God apart from the offering of that blood sacrifice. Therefore, he would not have been able to walk with God. So I think this is implied in his case. And this principle has never changed, even into this dispensation, that sin must initially be dealt with through justification before you can proceed to a life of progressive sanctification and fellowship with God. In other words, you have to be saved by faith before you can begin a life of faith. And of course, in our dispensation, we already have that blood sacrifice, which is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So in our dispensation, it's a matter of having your, your sins cleansed by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His finished atoning work. Now, I see four main elements here in the life of Enoch that helps us to understand this life of faith. And we begin with the components of Enoch's faith. I want to start not in verse 5, but in verse 6 this morning. And I want to look, first of all, at that very first phrase of verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Folks, this is one of the most important statements in all the Word of God. 
Absolutely nothing from men can please God apart from faith. Nationality or heritage cannot please God. This was critical for the Jews of this day to understand in which this book was written because they thought they were pleasing to God simply because they were the descendants of Abraham. But most of the time, they were very displeasing to God. The Bible makes it clear that men cannot please God through the keeping of the law. In Romans 3.20, Paul declared, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No man can ever become pleasing to God through good works. Paul said, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that of, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as the result of good works, that no one should boast. Faith is the only way that a person can ever be pleasing to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The word impossible there is very strong in the Greek language. It means no way, Jose. Now, okay, that's a loose interpretation, but you get my drift. It means absolutely is there no possibility of pleasing God without faith. Unbelievers cannot please God. You realize that? No matter how many so-called good works they may do, they are never pleasing to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is an absolute maxim. Notice this doesn't say it's hard to please God without faith. It says it's impossible. It's impossible. It means it's never going to happen. Faith is the door, the gateway, the only access to God. And if you go on in verse 6, you see another very strong word in the Greek, and that is the word must. It says, he who comes to God must believe. One author said, there is an urgent necessity about it. We must believe. We must trust God. This is the only way that we can come to, to God, by faith. This is how Enoch came to God and was able to walk with God. But notice there are two elements of that faith. First, he believed in the reality of God. Verse 6 says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. In other words, you have to begin by believing that God exists, right? I mean, this is pretty obvious, but it is very important. You can't very well live a life of faith without even believing that God exists. Now, believing that God exists is not enough in and of itself, but it is an essential first step. There are those who believe that God exists who do not know him, much less walk with him. But, of course, no one who denies his existence would ever even come close to a life of faith with him. So the first step is believing that God is. And please understand... 
This is not just believing in any old God. It's not uh, believing in God as some vague cosmic force. It's not believing in the man upstairs. It's not believing in the philosopher's ground of being. It is believing in the one true God, the God that is revealed to us in Scripture. It is believing in the God who made His will known to the fathers through the prophets and has now spoken to us in these last days through His Son. It's not enough just to believe in a God. We must believe in the true God. The faith that the author of Hebrews has in mind is belief in Him who is the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. People today have all kinds of fallacious caricatures of God. Some see God as a grandfatherly type old man who coddles people and winks at their sin, someone who wouldn't hurt a flea. Others see him as a stern policeman type whose primary job is to make people suffer. Others see him as the God of the deists, the one who wound up the world and then just lets it run on its own. But none of those false concepts of God is what the Bible has in mind here. The idea here is that we believe in the true God, the God that we see revealed to us in Scripture. You see, no man has seen God at any time. That's John 1.18. The only way we can ever know God and know about Him is through the revelation of Himself to us, through His Word. The only place we can find that revelation is in Scripture. We cannot know God by observation. We cannot know God through human reason. But we can know He exists by looking at all the evidence for His existence. We can see the incredible way that He has made this world and we can conclude there must be a master creator. We can see His handiwork in His creation. We can look at the phenomenal complexity of the human body and realize how insane it is to think that that just happened by accident. We can look at the laws of cause and effect, the law of entropy, and know that there must be a first cause and that only God qualifies for that role. One pastor writes, Go to the apple orchard and find an apple that is growing. As we look at the leaf that grows in a spiral around the stem of the apple, we will notice that the sixth line of the leaf always overlaps the first. It does that without exception. Go into a cornfield and find a full-grown ear of corn. Shuck that ear and count the rows. Without exception, it will have an even number of rows. And then he asks, how did that happen once, much less myriad of times? Oh, but please understand, science cannot prove or disprove the existence of God. 
Science can help us better understand the evidence for the existence of God, but it cannot prove his existence. Ultimately, your belief in the existence of God is by faith. It is impossible to apply the scientific method to everything. Apologist Paul Little points out that Science cannot prove the existence of Napoleon or any other historical character. Why? Because history is not repeatable and the scientific method requires that. And of course, we can't step back in time to the days of Napoleon and observe him with our senses. In the same way, we can't go back to the beginning of creation and verify the existence of God and His creative work. But just because these things can't be proven by science is no reason not to believe them. We have God's self-revelation and we have mountains of evidence. But we have to exercise our faith. I think two of the most powerful chapters in all the Word of God are Job 38 and 39. In Job 38, 4, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Where were you, Job? You know so much. I mean, in verse 2, he asked, uh, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I mean, he just lets him have it. And you can just hear God thundering this from heaven. And someday, he's going to ask all the fools who call themselves atheists some of the very same kind of questions. Oh, pastor, don't call them fools. Why not? That's what God calls them. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. I'm just calling them what the Bible calls them. You know, I've heard people say, man, it takes a lot of faith to believe in God. No, not really. It takes a whole lot more faith not to believe in Him. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe that this entire universe just came out of some primordial ooze by accident. And I don't know about you, but I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough foolish insanity to deny the existence of God. But this is where the life of faith has to start. You first must believe that God is. Jay Adams writes, the entire business of calling on a God, any old God, if there is such a thing, he says, is in vain. Prayers like, oh God, if there is a God, just don't cut it. One must believe in him, that is, the God of the Scripture, or he will not respond. We must believe that he is. And we must believe that the God of Scripture exists. Enoch had never seen God with his physical eyes, but he believed in his existence. He believed in the reality of God. 
But there's a second component of his faith, and that is he believed in the reward of God. Look again at verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not enough just to believe the God of the Bible and that he exists. We must also believe that we can fully trust him. We must recognize that he is a gracious, loving God who rewards those who diligently seek him. And until we come to this point of faith, we will not live our lives in the light of the promises that he has made. The life of faith is a life based on complete confidence in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. Enoch fully trusted in God in spite of his limited revelation of him. He believed on the basis of the revelation that he had. But what we need to understand here is that he did not see God as some kind of impersonal force. He saw him as a God who delights in having a personal relationship with men. And for 300 years, Enoch walked with God. He had personal fellowship with God, even though the Scripture does not tell us he ever saw him with his physical eyes. He had a personal relation, relationship with him through the eyes of faith. He took the hand of the invisible God by faith and walked with him. And he came to know God as loving, merciful, forgiving, and gracious. And of course, he is an example for us to follow. We too can live this kind of life of faith. We too can have a close, personal relationship with God through faith. In fact... We can have an even greater relationship with him because we have much more revelation than Enoch had. John MacArthur writes, it's not enough just to postulate a God. Einstein said, certainly there is a God. Any man who doesn't believe in a cosmic force is a fool, but we could never know him. MacArthur goes on to say, brilliant as he was, Einstein was wrong. We can know God. In fact, in order to please Him, we must believe that He is personal, knowable, loving, caring, moral, and responds graciously to those who come to Him. Again, it's not enough just to believe in a God or even to believe in the true God. We must commit our lives to Him in genuine faith. You know, the Jews of that day believed in the one true God, the God of the Scripture. But they were not committed to Him in faith. And that's the message of the author of Hebrews. In contrast, Enoch fully believed that God not only exists, but He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. His whole life of over 300 years, he spent walking with God through faith. By the way, notice that phrase in verse 6, those who seek him. The King James has those who diligently seek him. 
Now, someone will immediately say, wait a minute, didn't Paul say in Romans 3.11, there is none who seeks after God? Yes, he does say that, quoting Psalm 14.2, but we need to balance that out with all the other passages in both the Old and the New Testament that talk about seeking God and finding him. For example, Jeremiah 21 Twenty-nine, thirteen says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. First Chronicles 28, 9 says, if you seek him, he will let you find him. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. O'Brien says the phrase seeking the Lord is a common biblical expression, particularly in the Psalms, to refer to those who rely firmly on God, trust that His promises will be fulfilled, and find in Him the source of their deepest satisfaction. Even Jesus in the New Testament, in Luke 11.10 said, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. So what's going on here? Why did Paul say that there are none who seek after God? Well, I believe that we should read Paul's statement like this. There is none or no one who seeks God on his own. I believe that what Paul was emphasizing is the fact that The natural response of an unredeemed sinner is to run away from God rather than to run to Him. But once God does a regenerating work in a sinner's heart, then He will seek Him. And those who seek Him will find Him. And the point that the author of Hebrews is making is that those who do seek Him will be those who believe that he is absolutely trustworthy. And what will be the reward for those who seek him in faith? His eternal salvation. All the promises of God. As the well-known John 3.16 declares, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's what motivates a life of faith. And this leads us to a second major point in our outline, which is the consistency of Enoch's faith. Believing that God exists is the first step toward faith. Believing that He rewards those who seek Him is the first step of faith. But a life of faith involves consistently walking with Him. And as I said In Genesis 5, we're told twice that Enoch walked with God. And, of course, the concept of walking with God is a common theme in the New Testament. Romans 6, 4 says, We have been buried with him through baptism into death, so we too might walk in newness of life. In Ephesians 4, 1, it says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians 5, 16 says, 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Ephesians 5.2 says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. There is absolutely no doubt the New Testament describes the Christian life as a walk. And like Enoch, we're to walk with God every day. A life of faith is a life of walking close to God and in personal relationship with him. Now, this faith assumes two things to be true. First, it assumes that the person who is walking with God has first been reconciled to him. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? Of course, the answer is no. Uh, Of course, the scripture tells us that by nature we are children of wrath. We are enemies of God. We are born with a sin nature that is in rebellion against God. So we have to be reconciled to God through faith. And so we have to assume here that Enoch had experienced this reconciliation with God. In fact, Hebrews 11.5 says, He obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was well-pleasing to God. He had confirmation of that. Now, we don't know exactly what that testimony entailed, because we're not really told here, but there, it, there was some kind of tangible confirmation from God that he was pleasing to him. And this tells us that his sin had been dealt with and he had been reconciled to God. That's the first thing that has to happen if you're going to walk with God. Secondly, a second assumption here is that Enoch was created in the image of God and therefore had the ability to walk with him. He had the ability to fellowship with God. This is the uniqueness of man over the animal kingdom. And I always chuckle a little bit because people today get so attached to their pets. And some pets really exhibit a great amount of loyalty to their owners, but no pet can ever have a relationship with God. Only a person who is created in God's image can have that kind of relationship. Even unbelievers who are created in the image of God, by their nature, they are so corrupted by sin, their fellowship with God is severed. So really, only those who have experienced spiritual regeneration can really walk with God and fellowship with Him. The Apostle Peter says, we have become partakers in His divine nature when we are born again through faith in Christ. So, in Christ, we've been given a new nature, and through that new nature, we have the ability then to fellowship with God and to walk with Him. Walking with God assumes that our sin has been cleansed and that we're surrendered to God's will. The New Testament describes this kind of faith life as being continually filled with the Spirit. It is living a life of obedience to Christ. It is a life that is in submission to His Lordship. And perhaps it's best summarized in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted 
and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. The picture, I believe, that the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that of a consistent walk of faith in Enoch's case that lasted 365 years. Enoch believed God, and he continued to believe God through all of his entire life. His faith in God was not a one-time thing. It was a lifetime of believing God. But there's something else that we need to see about Enoch's faith. And in order to do that, we have to go not to the Old Testament, but to the New Testament. And so thirdly, I want us to see the communication of Enoch's faith. And for this, we have to go to Jude 14 through 16. So find Jude to the close to the very end of the New Testament, right before Revelation. And let's look at verses 14 through 16. Here we read this. And about these also Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Apparently, Enoch was a prophet who received a word of revelation from God. He proclaimed an inspired message of warning against the ungodliness of his day. And this prophecy which is confirmed as inspired by God here in Jude, in spite of the fact that it is recorded in the non-canonical book of Enoch, was not only a warning to the generation of Enoch, but also for those living in the last days just before the return of Christ. Now, we're not told how effective this message was in Enoch's time, But he was faithful to deliver it. And as with all preaching, it is not the response that is is important, but the faithfulness of the preacher that counts. Enoch, in faith, delivered the message and then left the results to God. But one thing is for certain. Those who heard the message could not say that they had not been warned of God's judgment. This is very similar to what we will see in the next man, Noah. But this report of Enoch's preaching here from Jude tells us a lot about this generation in which he lived. It was filled with unbelief and rebellion against God. It was, to use his own language, a generation characterized by ungodliness. Already the corruption of sin had risen to a monumental level. Already Satan had taken full advantage of the sin nature and fallen mankind. And had filled the world with false teaching and false teachers. And already he had employed the temptation of sin to lead to near total ungodliness. 
And so we see that the faith of Enoch is seen as even greater in the midst of such sin and corruption. And like Noah, it took tremendous courage and faith to stand against the opposition of his day and to remain faithful to God and faithful in the proclamation of His Word in a time like that. That should be an encouragement to us today. Because our world's pretty bad and it seems like it's getting worse all the time. But we are not the first generation that has seen a generation of people immersed in sin and deceived by Satan. We are not the first generation of men that opposes and resists the truth of God. So we must be people of faith, just as Enoch was faithful. Well, there's one last thing that we see about the example of this man of faith, and that is the consequences of Enoch's faith. Going back to Hebrews 11, we see in verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. After more than 300 years of faithful walking with God and faithful preaching of his word, he got some sort of confirmation that he was pleasing to God. And God then just took him right on up to heaven. He never had to face death. He never had to go through the valley of the shadow. He pleased God so much, he was in such close fellowship with God that the Lord just reached down and lifted him right up into heaven. Someone might ask, well, why did God wait over 300 years to translate him into heaven. Well, we're not told here, but it's likely because he had a life of godliness to live and a message that God wanted him to proclaim first. But when his work was done, then he received the reward that he trusted God for. Another question that is often asked was, is that why did God take him in such an unusual way when he doesn't take others this way? Well, that's one for the secret counsels of God. But whether we ever have to go through the corridor of death, or as some future generation of believers will experience through the rapture, we can always know that precious in the sight of God is the death of His saints. Precious. Why? Because we get to go and be in full fellowship with Him. And all those who live by faith will experience the same reward from God that Enoch received, eternal life, fellowship with Him forever. Now, He's really the reward. God Himself is our reward. But this is promised to all who live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And Enoch is a beautiful picture of the generation of believers who will one day be taken up from this world directly into heaven as Christ comes to receive His bride, the church. Now, Paul wrote about that in 1 Thessalonians 4:17. Then we who are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Someday, the Lord Jesus is going to say to an entire generation of Christians, you've been walking with me, now come walk with me in heaven. What a day that will be. And as Ron Phillips puts it, our life of faith ought to be a walk with God until at the hour of death or when the trumpet sounds, we are called home to be with Him. What about you this morning? Are you walking with Him? Have you begun that life of faith by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? And are you now constantly, consistently walking with Him? That's the life of faith. God wants us all to live it. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you'd help us to just be challenged from Your Word this morning that we would be people of faith. We would live this life of faith regardless of what we may see around us in the world. And help us to be reminded that the world has always been filled with sin and wickedness. And even seven generations from Adam, it was at such a monumental level that we know that in the next generation, God had to destroy the world. Lord, help us to know that we can still walk with you. And Lord, help us to be just like Enoch, people of faith, people who believe not only that you exist, but that you are the rewarder of those who seek you. And help us to do exactly that this morning. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.